Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% marginal gains society has become obsessed with and instead focus on the other 99%. And today we've got a great episode in store for you. We're going to be talking about motivation and how our motivation has changed throughout our fitness journey. Isn't that right? Yeah, got through it this time, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's going to direct people straight to our social media early because the outtakes from that were quite amusing. Yeah, I, I, I forgot our intro line, but second, second time round, I got it. <laughs> second time, just gone. Oh, how's your week been? Oh, it's, it's been it's been a hard one. Um, I tra- travelled to Turkey last Sunday, um, so I left here at four o'clock in the morning. It took about twenty hours to get there, I think just to get to Turkey, because I had to drive to Bath, then we got a taxi from Bath to Stansted, then we flew to Antalya, and then got a domestic flight from Antalya to Ankara, and there was like a free for our wait at the airport as well. Um, so long, long day of travel, stayed out there for two days, had a similar journey on the way back, just stopped over in Istanbul instead of Antalya. And then to top it all off, we got our bag stolen um out of the taxi on the way back from Steinstead to Bath so yeah not the best not the best of weeks <laughs> I just that was it must have been a setup surely how do, how do you get your bags stolen from a taxi do you know it's a really strange one because um for a start the taxi driver started driving back via Oxford so one of the one of the girls I was with Jenny she was like where is he going he's going through Oxford so she asked him and he was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go on the motorway again because I got stuck in loads of traffic the last two days. So we went a really weird route back, which was like a four hour drive instead of three hours. Um, and then he also stopped about five minutes before the services we stopped at. Um, so it was like very, very suspicious. But I don't think he was like involved in it because we asked him to stop at the next services. Um uh-huh. So I think if we didn't say anything, he wouldn't even stopped. But yeah, then so we stopped, got out of the taxi, went into the services. He said he was just gonna have a cigarette. Um, and when we came back, all of our bags were gone. Um, and they said that it happens quite a lot of that services because there's no cameras there. So I rang the police and reported it, and they've closed the case already. So like, there's nothing we can do really. Um, so we're, we're just hoping. Yeah. Say that again. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping the insurance company comes through and pays to replace our stuff. Because um, if not, I'm going to be, I've spent two grand in the last two days replacing everything so far. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping I get some of that back. Yeah, I can imagine. But it's an exciting week next week, isn't it? Because you're starting the new role up at Manchester. Yeah, so I'm going up to Manchester tomorrow. Um, Jamie, who's like their programme director, is going to give me, like, show me around the um, training ground stay there Monday, Tuesday night, come back here on Wednesday, um, and then I move back up there permanently the following Monday. Awesome. So for those that may not have heard us before, what is it you're doing up in in Manchester? So my job is a strength and conditioning coach, so I'm going to be working with the women's football team, um, doing mainly their gym-based stuff, not too much of the um, on-pitch stuff. And yeah, it's it's going to be a great opportunity. Um, I've been chatting to Jamie a little bit about it so far and they've got like quite a few rehabs that need doing. So I think their captain's just had um, Achilles surgery. 
one of their other players just um, injured their rec fem. So yeah, it's going to be a lot to lot to crack on with when I get up there tomorrow. That's another hamstring injury that um, came off the back of last week episode, and that's what we talked about for most of it, wasn't it? So uh, interesting. Uh, rec, rec fem, not bicep fem, quad. Oh, sorry, misheard. My bad. Yeah. Um, Okay, it's slightly more unusual for a football, but it's nice to have some stuff to, to get stuck into straight away, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've never rehabbed a rec fem before, so yeah, it should be an interesting one. I've read about 10 papers this morning on <laughs> rec fem rehab. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exciting Sunday. Yeah, yeah, living the dream. I think I'm still on turkey time because I wake up at five o'clock. <laughs> it's actually a time difference. Well, obviously there is, but what is it? A couple of hours, yeah. So they're, they're two hours ahead. Okay. No, I, was, I was only I was only there for two days. I'm just I'm in the habit of waking up early. Yeah, fair. And then how's your week been? You got a 10k swimming, didn't you? Yeah, last week went to Dawning, did a 10k swim there. Um, it's kind of healed, but anyone watching this live, my neck basically just got completely chewed up by my wetsuit. Um, so that's been quite painful and irritating actually this week that's been the biggest like hangover from it just my neck has been in absolute tatters um i really enjoyed it though uh came 20th which is quite cool um not out of 20 so um yeah like it, it was just a good event really um how many did enter 75 so that's top right? yeah yeah um it's just it's the first one I've done in a, a lake that's that sort of long. Obviously, it's purpose built for rowing, um, yeah. so it's it's actually quite demoralising, a bit depressing when you when you're spotting and you look up and you can see like your turnaround point at the far end, and it's just so far away. Um, like I've done a few of these in the rivers before, but you can't see past the next bend, so you're never. I don't know. In my mind, the distance was much further in the lake than it was. In a river just because you could see what was coming up. Um yeah. such a nice community. You know, you turn up and you're at the start line sort of half an hour before and you know the the nature of it is everyone's got to help each other with their wetsuits and things like that. So you just get chatting to people and yeah, I think it's a certain type of person that wants to enter those things in the first place. Um yeah. so you know, happy with the with the challenge and and sort of coming away uninjured, which was a pleasant surprise. How, um, how long, what was your time? Uh, three hours, 57. Yeah, so that's a long time to swim, isn't it? It's, it's basically a marathon in the water, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Um, I think, and I may be wrong, but someone said this to me at the start line, but I'm pretty sure it's the longest distance you can do without doing a channel swim in terms of like uh, official races and things like that um, in still water. I know that's quite niche. Um, because there are some slight. Oh, I actually did look at it, but it's got a three-year waiting list at the moment. Oh, jeez, um, yeah. Don't know what I'm going to be doing in three years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a five grand deposit and a three-year wait. So, um, yeah, it's quite a big decision to make. So I'm just going to hold fire on that and maybe give it another year before starting to plan that. But I quite like to do it as a relay. I think. Um, but there's some really weird rules in it. Like you're not allowed to wear a wetsuit. You have to do it in budgie smugglers. Um, you, if you touch the boat at any point, like that's your swim over. So if you okay. do it, do it in a relay, the next person has to be in the water and swimming before you can touch the boat to get out. 
Um, okay. Yeah, they literally just stop it there. Half, you know, if you're halfway across or nearly the full way, like, yeah, tough. Um, doesn't count. Like, it's really, really strict rules. Like two main governing bodies do it. So um, if anyone fancies a relay who's listening to this, give us a shout. <laughs> um, and if you've got a spare five grand, that'd be better. What is the distance on that? It varies because of the currents. Yeah, I think it's maybe 20k or 20 miles. I know there's a big difference in that. But I think with the some people have done that distance and some people have done nearly double because the currents just pull you up and down and you swim like a massive zigzag. Um, But the first bloke who ever did it, did it in like a, a woolen full sleeve, full leg wetsuit, well not wetsuit, like pyjamas. Um, and he did it in breaststroke because front crawl was ungentlemanlike. Yeah, and that's in rough edge, isn't it? Yeah, it's just epic. It's so good. <laughs> that's what I was going to say a minute ago. You know he got the same thing on his neck when he was doing that swim. He didn't have... What was the um, suit he made to stop that rubbing? I think he ultimately used like pretty much gaffer tape. I think yeah. he put like, a bit of bandage and then just gaffer taped his neck. Um, oh, that was it. Sea scarf, that's what you called it. You didn't have one of those those on hand. No, I I used all the wetsuit lube stuff. You know, it's, you know, it's all like a, a learning experience. So anyone who's going to go out and do some open water swimming, I used the lube. But after about an hour, um, I could just feel it starting to chafe. And obviously, there's nothing you can do once you've started. And, you know, for the next three hours, it got a bit worse, but worse. I was like, this is definitely going to hurt later. It wasn't too bad at the time. Um, it was just once I stopped that... You kind of noticed that it was a bit painful, but um, yeah, I could feel it coming for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, but live and learn. So, should we dive into motivation? Yeah, I reckon. So, we're going to go we're all gonna, the way back to started, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. So, if we go back to. Uh, do we, we start lifting at the same time, or did you start slightly before me? I think I started slightly before just through cricket, um, but not hot, maybe a few months, not a whole lot before. Oh uh, yeah, cool. let's let's start there. We'll go through chronologically. We'll start start at the beginning with your with your cricket and your first exposure to uh training or fitness or lifting, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I think this is a nice thing to look back on because it shows just how far strength conditioning has come since even then, you know, I we're not particularly old. It wasn't particularly long ago. It's about maybe 15, 16 years ago now. Um, and the first gym I ever went in was uh, at Somerset Creek Club, and it used to be called The Pit. Um, and it was basically um, like a squat rack and a pull-up bar nailed into the walls, some medicine balls, like very, very basic. Um, but it was in the tractor room. So they didn't have a proper gym you're basically training around like the groundsman's equipment um which was just really really odd looking back on it but at the time i didn't know any difference so i just thought you know this is absolutely fine um and the guys who are running it are brilliant but you know to be honest it was more of a test of how hard you could work so there's just a lot of volume um interspersed with quite a lot of conditioning stuff you know getting on the prowlers in the hall and things like that um so it was quite um quite crude in the way it was set up i suppose there wasn't a lot of nuance to it there was not a lot of individualization it was just basic capacity how hard can these kids work and how hard 
you know, how much do they want it? What are they prepared to prove? Um, yeah. I think we probably were working at an intensity that's too high for where we were at. Um, but in terms of the body weight stuff, it was great. That was about 13, 14 years of age, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that's changed since then is probably um, strength and conditioning for the youth population has come on so far in that time period as well. So I imagine if you went back into that system now, it would be quite different to what it was back then. Yeah, I mean, it was even different for when I was leaving that programme. You know, we had personalised training plans. It was all very well set out. It changed very, very quickly. Um, but just from like the first point, that's where it was. You know, they built an actual gym, um, proper equipment. I mean, you know, you worked in it for um, for a little bit as well, didn't you? Um, I've about the pit, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually, you know, it's it's quite nice to reflect on the fact that that was my starting point because now everything's clean and tidy and you know very neat and it's all very pristine and you know i quite like the idea of um you know just throwing a bit of kit around every you know every now and again it's quite a good way to train i think for variability yeah so if we, if we link this back to uh, motivation at that that point in time what was your motivation for you said it was quite like high exertion or intensity what what was your motivation behind getting to those sessions and putting everything in that you could um I mean I, you know I was a, a young kid and I wanted to be selected and the coaches said that they were watching how hard we would work for selection so I don't think I really had any understanding um of what it was we were doing or really why we were doing it I just knew that if you worked hard here it would impress the coaches for for selection for the for the summertime so I didn't really put any individual sort of emphasis on the training sessions themselves other than all of this is like a, a package of the person and you know I just wanted to be in the team basically. Yeah so then if, if we fast forward two three years um, how, how did your motivation change between between that time period and how did your training reflect that? Um, training change from those two time points and what was the difference in motivation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they ended up very, very different, actually. And again, I think it was there was a lot of naivety with with the training. Um, it wasn't very well researched, uh, if at all. Um, didn't have people around that had either studied it or gone through it themselves. So as it became clear that cricket wasn't going to be a, a sort of lifelong uh, professional pursuit, you know, that that's made quite clear quite early. Um, I did still enjoy the training and I'd come to to quite like the idea of pushing myself individually on my own. Um, and I think as a, a teenage boy as well, I enjoyed, you know, growing and having a bit more muscle and feeling a bit stronger. And, you know, with school sport in particular, quite successful. Um, but I think physically it gave me a, a lot of confidence um, within myself just because I looked very different um, and I could do things that other people couldn't because they hadn't had that experience yet. Yeah. And I think, you know, perhaps that's, I'd say that's the biggest motivator I've witnessed in young people, particularly male populations as well, is um, the idea of confidence and the additional confidence that comes from having a bit of extra muscle, you know, spending time in the gym. Um, but I think it's a very, you know, again, it's like a good community, isn't it? Everyone's going to the gym to achieve not the same thing, yeah. but a very similar thing you know, self-improvement, isn't it? So everyone there is kind of like-minded. Um, 
and I think this is where CrossFit have absolutely nailed it, is at the base level, what they're training is not particularly scientific, but they've created almost like a, a cult following, haven't they, of, of people that just buy into wanting to be there and wanting to train. Um, yeah. So I think I think motivation-wise, that became a thing as well because, you know, we started training together. We had two other friends that we were training with. Um, and it was almost like our like our social activity as well as training it was what we did for fun yeah yeah i can remember it was pretty much every day we ended up in there didn't we we used to go and even like swim on sundays and stuff but i, I was similar to you I, I can remember i started lifting at 16 and absolutely hated the way i looked um like skinny had really long hair i just looked like an absolute mess um so yeah, that was that was my motivation for training. I wanted to change how I looked. But that was one of the biggest things I noticed. Like you get a little bit of muscle because it's a slow process, but your confidence shoots up. And that really carries over into other areas of your life, in my experience. Um, so yeah, that, that was a big, big motivator for me. If we at what point did your motivation from just wanting to improve how you look change? If we fast forward like another three or four years? Yeah, it actually um it shifted. I was very lucky to go on a gap year um, where I was a sort of gap assistant at an outdoor ed school. So there was just huge amounts of running and hiking and uh, skiing and all sorts of like, do you know what, genuinely quite hardcore um, stuff. You know, you're running, did my first trail marathon out there. Um, it was just awesome. And I think I, I just not consciously but just kind of stopped caring about what I looked like because I was only interested in like my next run and the next activity and could my body do those things and if it could do those things fantastic it didn't really matter what it looked like um yeah. you know I was happy to eat whatever food I wanted um you know not be afraid of of going to social events and things like that because I wasn't worried about physique or anything like that it was just um you know fueling the body and making sure that it could could do the activities I wanted to so it was more activity led um than anything else it, you know it it wasn't something that I consciously made the decision to do um which was quite interesting like looking back and was that was that a gradual change or did you go like you went to a different environment and then your motivations just changed straight away or or was it more gradual can you talk us through that I mean, I read, I read some books about culture and um, kind of self-development and things like that. And one of the quotes that came out of it was, show me the five people you spend the most time with and I'll tell you what you're like. Um, yeah. And the people I was spending the most time with like didn't have, like the gym just wasn't even mentioned. Um, they were all about running and hiking and walking um and all those sort of outdoor pursuits like cross-country skiing and all that sort of thing so i think i just fell into the mold because that was the environment i was in um yeah. and i'd never sought that out before when i was younger but that sort of not forced exposure because i did choose to be there but that exposure to that new culture and that new way of thinking um it, it probably just made the shift for me if i'm honest yeah and what i was going to ask you then did, that's what I was going to ask you. I, like when you're talking through that, I'm putting myself in that situation, and I'm thinking, if that, I'm really lifting. Like, did that thought ever come in your head, or did it just 
got all these people around this, these people do that. Of, so I'm just going to follow them and get involved in whatever. Yeah, I mean, I did initially miss the old routine and, and the habit and things like that. Um, but I, I've always loved the outdoors. Um, so it wasn't that I felt like I'd lost something. I felt like I'd gained something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't a case of me feeling like I'd had to give anything up. You know, there was a weights room on site. We just never went in it, um, yeah. you know, because it wasn't part of the, the kind of culture there. But, yeah, for me, it was more a gain of something new than it was a loss of something that I had been doing. Um, and that shift sort of stayed with me when I went, uh, came back to the UK. Um, I started going back to the gym, started lifting again. Again, you know, it's very aesthetics focused. That was my my main motivator for that um, was physical appearance. Um, but I still loved the sort of long distance um, cardiovascular sports that I discovered. You know, hence the 10k swim that I did. You know, this Sunday. Um, I think the the health benefits and the mental benefits for me um, are just so much greater from cardiovascular exercise than they are from being in the weights room. But having said that, yeah. I do, you do still enjoy it and do massively see the benefits of it. Yeah, and that, that's reflected in those of the research, to be fair. Although like they're showing now that strength training is just as good as um, antidepressants, which is fascinating. But I, I think cardiovascular endurance is still slightly more effective um, but they've just studied it more in, in that. So this, would you say that's your main motivation now is your um, mental health or well-being is your biggest motivator for for cardiovascular training anyway? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, I'm I'm never going to, well, maybe I will, but I, I don't think I'm ever going to enter anything that, that I'm going to win. It's never going to be a job for me. Um, it's not going to be professional. So I think, I've had to reevaluate after a few injuries, like why I'm engaging in these sports. And I think that's something that lots of people kind of go through with different transitions in their life, whether it's starting uni or jobs or having kids. Um, and I think that I, I genuinely enjoy just seeing what my body can do and how far it could go. You know, when I actually got in the water to swim that 10K last weekend, um, I, didn't, I didn't know how long it was going to take. If I was actually going to finish, you know, maybe shoulders give out or something like that. Um, and having those genuinely challenging experiences, I think, is really good mentally, um, A, because it, it keeps you sharp and it, it keeps you focused on lots of different things. Um, and it stops you becoming sort of stuck in a routine and too comfortable. But yeah, for sure, like the communities and the sort of time away from the busyness of life i think mentally cardiovascular exercise for me is yeah it's golden it's absolutely number one if you if you had to pick between one or the other now what, what would you go for can i choose any any endurance sport because if i can keep doing lots of them i'm probably going to choose that oh, so just just for the variety so i like my question was referring to like you can either pick resistance training or cardiovascular training which one are you going for like modality doesn't matter i'm probably going to pick cardiovascular training yeah are you yeah nice. I, i'm probably going to stick with that um that might change in a few years um but for now it's it's definitely that way what would you go for i i'd go for resistance training 100 percent. but like the only reason i do any cv work now is for the health benefits um 
like outside of that, I don't really, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have any other motivation to do CV work other than just trying to stay healthy. Um, so like most of my training is still centered around lifting. But that, that again, like, like you said, like that changed a lot over the years. So when, like we both said, we started at six, well, you started before, but at 16, we're just trying to get in the best shape we can. It was all about aesthetics. Then left school, I got really into rugby after leaving school. Um, like that, that year where I dropped out of doing law, came back to Taunton. Um, and that was all I really had to do during the week. So like everything was just centered around rugby, really. Um, like training Tuesday, Thursday, games on Saturdays. And then at that point, I was just trying to get as big as I could. So it was still um, training for hypertrophy, but I wasn't bothered about how I looked as much because I was just trying to put on as much weight as possible. Um, I can remember trying really, really hard to get to, I can't remember if it was 16 or 17 stone, but I was just eating as much as I could to try and get to that, that on scales. Um, and then after that year, I went back to uni. I then got really back into like the men's physique stuff, did a few competitions. And then like all, all my training was centered around like trying to look the best I could. Second year of uni, um, strength and conditioning became like my identity. I think at that point I kind of realized that I wanted to be an SNC coach. So I started doing a load of Olympic lifting, um, less hypertrophy works did a little bit. Um, but yeah, most of my training was centered around like trying to learn as much as I could to be a good SNC coach. So, um, and I actually trained in a CrossFit gym during that time when I was back at home, cause that was the only place you could really do Olympic lifting. Um, cause it's, it's still not that widespread as a sport really. And then following that, the, the next time I had a big change in my motivation for training was when I signed up to join the army. And I was like, um, I'm going to need to get fit for this because it's going to be tough. And the pre-joining fitness test was a sub eight minute 2K. And I was in my head, I was like, I'm not a runner. I can't run. I think I was still about 110 kilograms at this time. So I was, I was big um, and I was getting nowhere near those times. So I was like, I need to get into running. And this was over lockdown, which was actually quite convenient because I had access to a gym, but it wasn't the type of gym where you could do a lot of like bodybuilding type work. So I stripped back on the lifting quite a lot, ran five, six times a week um, and continued that through for like a good year or so and got pretty good at running. Then I failed my medical um, and I was like, but I, I was kind of, it was a nice lesson some in my head before that I thought, if I do loads of CV work, it's going to um, interfere with all of this strength training I'm doing. But it's actually not really the case at all. And it, it taught me a really good lesson. And it also made me try a lot of different stuff in the gym, like full body splits and um, that type of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, coming back to now, I've kind of gone full circle and gone back to just training for aesthetics again, but still keep up a bit of CV work for, for the health benefits because I'm getting aware that I'm getting older and you start to think about health a bit more as you get older. Yeah, it's, it's interesting actually, I'm just going to touch on the first thing you said there about that, you know, the theory of concurrent training and it used to be that, um, what was it, cardio kills gains and I think, you know, I still hear that um, in yeah. the gym every now and again, almost exclusively from younger groups of men um, who just think that they can't possibly get stronger or get bigger if they're doing cardiovascular exercise and it's not. Um, you know, it, it may dilute the stimulus ever so slightly, but you can absolutely do both. And I think that's a really important message early in this episode to give people that whatever your motivations are, like you can still have both these things. 
Yeah, completely. Like 99% of the population should be doing both resistance training and cardiovascular training. Um, if, unless you're like, unless, I don't know, being a powerlifter is like your full-time job. Even then you can still do some CV work and it's not going to interfere that much. It'll probably be beneficial because you can do more training volume. But yeah, for, for most people, I like now I like lifting four times a week, running twice. Running is probably the worst form of cardio to do if you do want to put on muscle or get stronger. Um, like you're better off choosing cycling or rowing or something that's non-impact because it causes less muscle damage. They think that could be potentially one of the mechanisms that interferes with getting bigger or stronger. Um, but yeah, I still run just because I prefer running. I hate sitting on a rower or a ski erg or whatever. Yeah, and it's nice, I think, as well, isn't it, just to get outdoors, particularly if yeah. you're working a lot or you're working from home and you you, know, you don't necessarily leave the house if you're not going to the gym, you don't need to do a food shop. Um, it's a cheap sport, isn't it? It's accessible to to lots of people. And um, I also thought it was interesting how you said about the kind of external environment and how that impacted what you did, because obviously when the pandemic hit, the gyms were shut and pretty much all of us um, didn't have access to gyms and swimming pools and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it saw one of the greatest increases of of running in, in the modern day. Um, and that was fueled largely by the Run 5, Donate 5, um, sort of social media driven charity movement. Um, I actually don't have the official figures, but I think it set out um, to raise X amount of money and it had made that within a week. Um, and then it, it just absolutely spiraled from there. And, you know, it, it went viral to use that term. Um, but, the, you know, it's not the first time it happened. I was researching this earlier um, about the the running boom, as it was known. So this was in, hang on, let me just get this correct. Uh, 1970s in the US, um, they basically saw like their highest ever inflation rates. Um, so basically people were under huge financial stress. Um, and weirdly, that that correlated um, directly with this this running boom, the biggest increase in uh, signups to fund runs, and you know people sort of uh, recording that they were doing cardiovascular exercise and running in particular. Um, you know, so I think subconsciously we we are aware of the the mental benefits of taking a little bit of time out and and challenging our bodies. And you know, when you feel um when you feel healthy when you are healthy because you're you're doing this exercise and you're eating the right food like you just feel good about yourself in general don't you um whereas if your diet is rubbish um you've drunk too much alcohol you know you've lost two weekends or three weekends because you've been hung over like you just don't feel good about yourself and i think that's kind of the role that almost subconsciously exercise plays in our lives that we know we need to do it to feel good about ourselves yeah that's a really good point as soon as i'm feeling stressed or annoyed or like the first thing i want to go and do is just get and train yeah and so yeah like always... said, I think we are aware of the the effect it can have on our mental well-being yeah and people are always going to get stressed and annoyed there's always something that can happen isn't it and um you know i think it then changes as, as you get older we spoke about when we were in our teenage years and it was primarily for um, aesthetic purposes um, and, and sort of subconsciously gave us that that confidence boost and how that shifts to to kind of older populations and you look at um, 
you know, maybe people in their 30s and 40s who've got young kids and they're thinking, you know, I want to be a good role model for my children. Um, I want to live a long time so I can see my kids grow up. Um, I want to be able to play with my grandkids so I can't afford to ruin my body while I'm young because it, it does get harder to get that back as you get older. And then we go even older again and we're looking at our sort of OAP um, population and that's very much um, we spoke about it a bit last week but you know reducing the risk of falls improving your posture um, yeah. cardiovascular health benefits in the elderly population obviously huge in terms of increasing life expectancy so the reasons that people choose to engage in exercise um, whilst they are individual I do think they're slightly guided by where you are in your life as well yeah, 100%. That, that age bracket you mentioned, 30 to 40, a lot of the clients I got um, personal training were like, uh, so one guy, for example, just had an operation on his knee, like couldn't walk or run or do any of that kind of stuff. And sometimes it takes something like that to get people to engage in exercise. Like probably a lot of people that are pre-diabetic, that's going to give them a lot of motivation to go and do some, some training. Um, but yeah, once you start getting into that age bracket, I think health does become a priority for most people. You see it in a lot of like ex bodybuilders as well who like abuse steroids for ages then they'll get to similar sort of age and then really prioritize health yeah it's not really a sustainable lifestyle that is it and actually you mentioned the, the pre-diabetic i cannot cannot remember the name of the, the documentary on amazon but i will find it and i'll put it in the the show notes because it was about um this group of people that basically said that exercise can sort of overcome diabetes um and they were using exercise and diet instead of insulin treatments to kind of reverse the effects of diabetes so while sometimes we may um look at certain areas of the population and think too far gone like there's, there's almost no such thing to be too far gone like exercise can have this really beneficial impact at any stage for anyone yeah 100 percent. like you look at something like that like training can improve your insulin sensitivity so there's like there's so many health benefits um that's just, that's just like one example of them if you were you know if you had the opportunity to go back and change your entry into to fitness and to training and that sort of stuff would you do anything differently um yeah there's definitely stuff i'd do differently but then say, saying that i think like at that age like back when i was 16 the only thing that mattered to me was trying to look better. Um, and then like you could look at it from a different point of view. Like if I wasn't playing sport at that age and I was just lifting weights, then I'd probably go back and say I would have done a bit of CV work. But, you know, we were playing loads of sport at that age. Um, in terms of like in the gym, nutrition, all of that kind of stuff, there's tons of stuff I would change. But in terms of what my goal was and how my um, – training kind of looked overall i would don't think i would change too much like obviously we did a load of stuff wrong i'd go back and change that stuff but at, at that time that's what was important to me and that's what i trained for so yeah I, I don't think i'd go back and tell my younger self oh you need to do your two runs a week to stay healthy because it just wasn't important to me at that time when i was playing sport and active in other ways anyway yeah i think that's fair enough if you're you don't necessarily if you play a, a team sport or you're engaged with something like that you don't necessarily need those extra runs do you um because you are getting kind of cv impact um do you think what i would change is like obviously all of my motivation over that period changed a lot you know like when my identity became a strength and conditioning coach 
again, I don't know how much I would change because that was important to me for my career at that stage in time. But have you ever got to the point when you just ask yourself, like, why am I doing this training? Like, what what is the point? Like, I've, I've been at that stage quite a few times. Because um, like, after I failed my army medical, for example, I carried on running for ages, probably like another six months or so. And it got to the point where I was like, why am I doing all this running? Like, I don't, that's not really that important to me. Um, what is important to me is just trying to get stronger and bigger because that's like deep down, that's what I really care about. But then like you get wrapped up and tell yourself all these things that you're like, oh, I'm, but I'm doing this running now because I want to stay healthy. Well, okay, well then I don't need to run six times a week. Maybe I need to do two or three or like just reflecting back on that stuff. Um, like that, that is what I would change. Like what is important to me at this time? for whatever whatever reason and then just train for that um I think I'd be more aware of that throughout the last 10-12 years yeah I think because what's informed my decisions over the last couple of years has been some some pretty bad injuries um and if I could go back and just ask myself why was I going to the level where I got injured that badly anyway you know what was the end goal um yeah and actually, you know, at the time, it was all I cared about. But but now looking back at it, I think, well, that was silly, wasn't it? Um, you spent a lot of time and a lot of pain, spent a lot of money um, getting all these treatments afterwards um, for something that, that didn't need to be done in the first place. You know, no one was making me do it. So I think yeah. I, I would still engage with the same activities because I've had some incredible experiences and, and done and been some amazing places as a result of it. But I would, yeah, not necessarily change the motivators, but change the the process. But obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? Um, and that's what yeah. this podcast is all about. It's it's informing people um, before they make those same mistakes that we did, basically. Yeah, and I think for most people, they want to they want to look good, they want to feel good, and they want to be healthy. And what I see um, in the fitness space, people's training doesn't really reflect that. They end up doing like take crossfit loads of people get involved in crossfit which is great like if you just want to look good be healthy crossfit's not the best thing for you to do um but yeah it's, it's blown up for all those other reasons that you said community giving people a sense of purpose like a ton of reasons but um if, if i was those people i'd want to go and ask myself like why am i doing this training does it really reflect my goals and you know, maybe they just want to have fun and be involved in something. A lot of people use it as their sport now, don't they? Which uh, I don't want to get in trouble for saying it's not a sport, but <laughs> if, if that's a sport, I don't want to work in sport anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's great. It's great for that kind of thing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, team events and things. I saw some stuff on social media this morning of team events and um you know people are, are competing and and having fun and enjoying competition which they don't necessarily get elsewhere in in their lives and i that's one thing as well that i've had to learn through work life is that you you don't just get promoted overnight you know some of these things take a really long time as it does with training but you can have these like micro targets and smaller goals where you can add in competition and feel like you've achieved success because you know doing things over and over and over without having a goal of some sort it, it just becomes monotonous and then like you said you start asking yourself these questions why am i doing this what's my main motivator um and for me competition's always been uh important i love it um so being able to compete, even if it's just with yourself 
um, I think it's a, a really big one, particularly for perhaps people that played a lot of school sport or youth sport and university, but, you know, they now have a job and kids and a life and they can't play team sport anymore. Um, so finding these different ways to keep competition in their life, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And t- team sport is a, is a big commitment when you're trying to play that and train on top of it. Um, it's, it's tough to, like, I struggle to find time to do that a lot of weeks. And that, that that's the other thing I was going to say is when, I think a good time to set a new goal is when your progress does start to slow or you hit your goal. So if you if you take off just wanting to look good, okay, you get in shape. You're probably not going to, after five, six years of training, you're probably not going to change that much more. So then for me, it was, okay, now I want to get stronger because I can see progress in that week on week or month on month. And that's almost like refreshing from a motivation standpoint because you've got a more objective marker. You can see if you're progressing or not. And it's not just looking in the mirror like subjectively you oh, I look a bit better look a bit worse um that's not great for your mindset so like, I'm a really big fan of some sort of performance goal I think this is probably a an episode in itself almost but what role do you think social media plays in driving motivations around physique and attraction yeah it's been I remember listening to someone talk about this and um, like take take me for example like in Taunton maybe I'm I don't know top five percent for like how I look physique wise then you go and go on social media and all you're exposed to depending on like who you follow and that kind of stuff but you're probably exposed to those other like four percent of people that are just in ridiculous shape and then you compare yourself to that and you're like oh I look pretty average now but when you look at the bigger picture you're still in really good shape. So it's it's really um what's the word? Like it gives you like this false illusion of like what a good physique is. Um and then like your perspective on what in shape, what isn't in shape is just miles away from reality. So like say you're twelve percent body fat, you've probably got visible abs, you're reasonably lean, like in good shape. You go on social media, there's all these women or men with like 5% body fat or 10% body fat for women and you're like oh I'm not that lean at all um so yeah it just really skews your perspective yeah and I I think the other thing on there is I would say that probably and I'm absolutely making this stat up but I'd be surprised if less than 90% of the content that you're exposed to hadn't been edited in some way whether that's just a simple filter um or changing the lighting or whatever um you know or even more significant than that you know some people go to to great lengths to edit their content um so what you're seeing isn't even real not only is it not a fair representation of the population and and where you sit within that population it's also not even accurate of them themselves because it's been it's been edited so so much um we actually did this at, at school as a bit of a tangent like um i think it was like a dove or a nivea advert or something like that um where they basically reversed photoshop on some people um and it was really really enlightening because they just don't look anything like what they do at the end and i think that's um you know another motivation for this podcast and for our social media is none of it's filtered none of it's edited um it is just just raw content and people can kind of hopefully get you know genuine knowledge genuine experience uh, and, and a proper insight without having those sort of things coming in because 
I think it's quite damaging actually to society to only be exposed to um you know the the kind of top one or two percent of people but then and I know this is slightly controversial in statement but there has been a, a movement hasn't there for like plus size uh models for men and women and I'm you know absolutely in support of of all of that and and normalizing things that we all have in our our bodies um but that does need to come with a caveat that beyond a certain point it becomes unhealthy doesn't it um so yes we try to change the stigma of the the perfect physique in inverted commas but actually there is there are some characteristics that can be deemed scientifically as unhealthy um whether that's being too thin or or too large they are not necessarily good for you um but it, it, there's not really a middle ground on social media is there yeah 100 and yeah like like you said like being um like too big or too small like they're probably equally unhealthy um again you see it in the physique space guys that stay like five six percent body fat all year round is not not healthy and not really sustainable um yeah but yeah were you referring to the health at any size movement because that uh i actually haven't seen that one if i'm honest that's or maybe i have just not known it's called that yeah so then like the the nutritionist i mainly follow a guy called martin mcdonald um he was talking about this recently and like you said like once you get to a certain point you you can't be healthy if you're if you're clinically obese it's just, you're not going to be healthy yeah but that does then you know that comes with a caveat of um bmi readings um you know even at my leanest i think i've been clinically obese because there's it's offset by muscle mass and that sort of thing so you know depending on who you are and you know you could be clinically obese but actually very very fit um and that's obviously a much better place to be than being the right weight but inactive i say the right in inverted commas again um you could have yeah. a really fine average bmi but be less healthy couldn't you yeah yes yeah. so if, if you took like your marker is like 30 40 percent body fat whatever I'm not sure what marker they use outside of BMI. Can you, can you diagnose someone as clinically obese off of BMI? Or is it done off, I don't actually know what the diagnosis is. I don't know if it's that or um, body fat percentage. I don't know if you can diagnose someone as that based on BMI, but if you look at the BMI scale, it will give you that terminology based yeah. on BMI score, whether that's used as an official diagnosis. Um, I'll have to go away and have a look, but yeah, it certainly gives you that terminology. Yeah, if you took someone that was 40% body fat and got them down to 20%, like all of their biomarkers are going to improve. So they're going to have lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, like all of that stuff's going to improve. Um, so yeah, I, I don't agree with that that kind of saying. Although it's, it's a good thing in terms of 5% is not necessarily more healthy than 12, 15%, um, probably less healthy uh, long term. And then the psychological impacts of that as well, you know, the things that you turn down and the things you refuse, the social engagements you don't go to, the foods yeah. that sort of deprive yourself of, like mentally over time, that's exhausting as well. And yeah, I don't think I've ever, like the first thing after a competition that, that these competitors do is just go and stuff their face with donuts and biscuits and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not healthy. No, and the, like that's where CrossFit has been good. Like these guys stay like a healthy-ish level body fat all year round. Um, yeah, have have a more balanced diet or like less extreme 
Because, um, yeah, when you're getting to 5% body fat, you're effectively just starving yourself, really. So you, you get to that point where it's not healthy. And that's where we look at the kind of general population, isn't it? Something like CrossFit doesn't lend itself to to the super lean athlete necessarily because you need to take in more food to be able to expend that higher energy you know it is a high expenditure sort of activity isn't it you know some of these workouts are really quite long really quite strenuous um so you do need more more fuel to do that and you do need more reserves to do that um more than you would to to be on stage yeah yeah especially the endurance stuff um I know that the Marines call it like yomping fat or something, don't they? They'll try and put on a bit of fat before they go off on all these like however many mile long, um, long marches or treks or whatever they call them. Yeah, I mean, phenomenal guys, aren't they? That's a whole other, um, yeah, that's a whole other breed of person that ends up sort of doing that and maintaining that. Um, and, you know, the mental state that comes with that, we've probably we've spoken about putting an episode on about that as well um, in the coming weeks and the kind of psychology of training and sticking with plans. Um, but what do you think our sort of main takeaways are for the listeners today? For me, I, I think it's really important to be aware of your motivation. If, if you understand that firstly, like you just referred to then, like being able to stick to a plan or stay consistent I think we've lost Tommy there, unfortunately. Um, he's talking about consistency and um, being able to stick to that plan. And I'm I'm going to sort of drop in on, on top of that, um, hoping that he comes back uh, to us in a second, is uh, Pearson's Law. And this is what I'm going to leave you with today. Um, Pearson's Law is that which is recorded improves and that which is recorded and reviewed improves exponentially um and and for me i think that's really really important so becoming the type of person that can set and achieve goals um whatever your motivations are there are no right or wrong motivations we've discussed a few today um you will have your own and they may shift they may not shift as you get older um or as you have a family or it gets bigger or your job changes but just being aware of those and kind of checking in with them um to make sure that what you're doing uh is helping you you get um to where you want to go uh that is what we have time for today uh we do have a very special guest coming on uh in a coming episode so so keep an eye out for that as always check us out on social media at the other 99 percent um mainly on instagram at the moment um so yeah give us a follow and if you've got any questions you know just ping them through on there um absolute pleasure as always and see you next time